Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we have Jason Fields, who's running for state representative in District 26 out here in Newburgh. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where this is a pretty neutral district. Uh, Courtney Neuron is the incumbent. Uh, you're coming in here. Your big thing is tolls. Um, why don't you just uh, you know introduce yourself? How what do you do for work? How did you get involved in politics? And what was kind of your 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 decision to start running? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So um, I'll start off clear back when my parents got married. So uh, my mom at fifteen married my father at eighteen. Both of them high school dropouts. Um, you know, I tell you what, life was very very difficult for myself and my siblings. We spent the first few years of our life in and out of foster home. So I'm kind of an unlikely candidate. We were incredibly sure. poor. Um, my, my, uh, my, we did not have a, a wash machine. My mother didn't get her driver's license until she was 26. Hmm. You know, I'm very, I'm very glad for government, uh, help. Uh, we lived on food stamps and, uh, um, free lunches at school. Hmm. So my parents, they, uh, they divorced and remarried while we were, uh, in foster care. And, uh, um, finally they separated their final time while I was 12 years old. I started picking berries at nine years old and, and it was out here, here in Oregon. It was here in Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Towns and farms is what I remember. That's who I did it with. Uh, and, uh, Anyways, at 14, I got my first job washing dishes. I lied and said I was 15. <laughs> but I, uh, my father, unfortunately, he was going through a bout of depression because of his divorce with my mother. And uh, he was a, a alcoholic, and he was having a tough time holding the job and just getting up to go to work. So I paid the rent at 14 years old. Wow. I, I worked all the way through high school. I paid for my own school supplies, my own school clothes. I bought my own car, my own car insurance, my own fuel, everything. So, but I graduated high school and uh I continued to work. I moved out, I bought a I bought a home. I met a gal and uh we had a baby and uh it was one of the most transformational moments of my entire life. I remember 20 minutes prior to her being born, I just kept thinking to myself, better be a boy, better be a boy, better be a boy. <laughs> and then here she came, and the doctor handed me. She was not a boy. She was not a boy, and I didn't check, and I didn't care, and I just could not believe how much I loved this little thing. And uh, two of the most important women in my entire life, my wife and my daughter. And uh, so, 
I continue to work, and uh, currently, right now, I I sell uh, new and used tow trucks. I also manufacture okay. parts for Volkswagen Bugs and buses, and I ship them back to Germany. As a matter of fact, I ship them all over the world. It sounds crazy wow. to think, yeah, it sounds crazy to think that a guy in Newburgh, Oregon, could possibly be manufacturing parts for Volkswagens and shipping them right back to Germany, but. So you went from sorry, just jumping in here. Uh, you went from government assistance growing up to now being a Republican, where we're kind of viewed as the anti-government assistance party. So I, I'm just curious about that kind of transformation. How you how you went from A to B there? Well, here's one thing that I will tell you is um, I believe in responsibility, and sure. uh, and growing up, it was incredibly hard. I remember thinking to myself as I looked at our crumbled up driveway, how we never had a new car. We never got new clothes. I never asked my parents for anything. And I just remember thinking to myself as a young, you know, teenager, I am not going to live my life like this. So I worked very, very hard to make sure that I wasn't uh, putting myself into debt mm-hmm. and that I took responsibility for in every move that I ever made. And uh, there was a time that I was in some a little bit of financial troubles, but I paid everybody off, and uh, um, I, I'm glad that I made those choices. Now, I, I do believe in government programs. I do mm-hmm. believe in, in helping those that need help, and, and there are a lot of people that need help, especially right now with sure. the cost of uh, everything being so high and inflation and what have you. So, um, but, uh, you know, hard work gets you out of it all. Yeah. I heard somewhere, and I forget where this was, but it was assistance should be substantial, it should be immediate, and it should be temporary. And I don't know if that's how you how you feel. I thought that was a good kind of rule of thumb where, you know, if somebody's dealing with a hard time, you know, down on their luck, you give them enough to get out of it, and it's immediate, you don't have to make them wait for it, and then, you know, it, it's, got a, it's got a clock on it. It's where you kind of have to have to figure it out. That's the, the goal, right? Well, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and, and I believe in giving a hand up mm-hmm. and, a, and a hand out temporarily. Um, sure. Not a, not a lifetime worth. But yeah, uh, yeah so. So you got, um, why don't you just tell me a little bit about this district? We're in Newburgh right now. I believe this goes all the way up to Sherwood, right? Or so this, this is kind of like a suburban almost yeah. district of, you're, you kind of got some suburbs yeah, so this, this district actually starts in Charbonneau, and uh, it it works its way towards uh, Wilsonville, and it also goes over to Sherwood. It, it includes all of King City and Bull Mountain. It only covers a sliver of uh, Newburgh, which is okay. where I live. And and I have been redistricted. We've been gerrymandered into mm-hmm. this district, and I'm I'm very thankful to be in this uh, in this district because I I believe I've got this. Yeah. Well, I think just doing the numbers on this district, I think this is the one that was a concili- conciliatory uh, district by the Democrats. They wanted all of the surrounding districts to be blue, and so this one was kind of the one that they allowed to to get away (laughs) yeah i so i don't know for sure but i actually think that uh they lost about 1800 democrats i think that's what they lost yeah this this district is one of the few that that got redder in the last redistricting so i think that um just you know i talked on the phone before this i think in just in a complete vacuum 
I think you win this district by a couple of points. I think that it, it's it's close enough that that it's definitely winnable. And you were also talking about you have knocked on what seventeen thousand doors at this point. I am at seventeen thousand three hundred doors. So I'll, wow. I will tell you, since March, I've knocked on seventeen thousand three hundred doors. I've and that's been, just all you. That's not your team of volunteers. It is vastly me. I mm-hmm. I I also got a couple of uh, volunteers that started helping me here a couple of months ago, and the only doors I'm having them actually knock on is uh, Republican doors. That's a but, good strategy, yeah. Yes, but I hit all of the non-affiliated doors, Democrat doors, independents, working family uh, party doors. And uh, you know what? I, I Here's the thing that I have found. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what party you belong to. We all agree on the same things. Everybody believes that Oregon is too expensive to live. And uh, they're tired of the crime, the crime creep that's been coming from Portland. And uh, people want change. And yeah. you know what? I plan to be that change. And and I will tell you, I am a Republican. I am a conservative. But I absolutely plan on uh, representing everybody in my district, period. No matter who they love, no matter what color their skin is, no matter what their social economical status is, I plan on uh, representing everybody. That's awesome. You know, when I was running for state rep in 2020, uh, that was my strategy was I was going to knock every single door in the district between March and November. Um, this was March 2020. If you remember what happened in oh, no. March of 2020, yeah. I did not get a whole lot of opportunity to go out and knock on people's doors uh, during that summer. But that was that was the strategy. That was that was what I was going to do, because that is the best way. And and for anybody, prospective candidates, um, you know, you can get your numbers up by getting volunteers to go knock doors for you. That's okay for like name ID. But if you're actually trying to persuade people and win and win uh, their votes, uh, you, the candidate, have to do it yourself. And so I commend you for for doing that. And that's hard out here. Like people are pretty spread out. You, you can't. When I was in I was in downtown Portland, I could just go walk, knock, you know, walk door to door to door. You got to sometimes get in your car and go a little ways. Yeah, well, I will tell you that I did most of my door knocking here in this general area where it's very rural. I did that mostly during the primary. I have not rehit any of those doors mm. because I, I believe in my heart that those people are going to vote for me. And I have spent my time where I get the most value. And that is, uh, you know, I tell you, when I started out, I decided to start in my opponent's backyard. I started in her actual uh, you know, her backyard in uh, Villabois. And matter of fact, I didn't realize it, but I knocked on her door. Yeah. I, I realized it as soon as I saw all the cameras. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I tell you, I, I was knocking on doors. I walked up this flight of stairs and uh, I, I noticed there was a camera down low on the right, on the left, one up above and on the right <laughs> and on the left and then a, a door ring bell camera. And I thought to myself, goodness, what's this person afraid of? And I looked on my list. Holy smokes, it was Courtney Neron's door. <laughs> and I thought to myself, do I do I knock on do this door? Yeah. yeah. Do right. I want her to know that I'm knocking on doors? Surely she knows I'm knocking on doors. So I decided that, you know, I didn't want to have this loop of me just walking away and uh, them say, oh, Jason was too chicken to talk to her. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to knock on this door. So I knocked on it and she answered the door right away and she knew who I was. She goes, Oh, and I said, Courtney, <laughs> I said, I'm out knocking doors. I've never met you before. And as you can see, you're the next person on my list. And I don't figure there's any better time than right now to, uh, introduce myself. So I said, uh, Courtney, I'm Jason Fields. Uh, it's an honor to meet you. I want to thank you for your service and I look forward to serving as your next state representative. <laughs> And she took that really well, actually. 
And then I told her a really nice story of a school teacher of hers that I had met in King City. And this woman told me that uh, Courtney Neron was just a wonderful young lady. She was intelligent mm-hmm. and beautiful. And she said, you, sir, don't have a chance. And anyways, I, I told her, well, you know what? Your neighbor across the street said I needed to come over here and say hello to you. And uh, she told me that you were just a wonderful, sweet woman. And you know what? I agree. So I told her that story. But then I I started talking to her about the tolls. And I told her, I said, mm-hmm. you know, Courtney, I said, I, I know you love this state. I know you love the people in this district. And what I cannot wrap my head around is why would you vote for something namely these tolls mm-hmm. that are going to be so hurtful for our, our most uh, vulnerable citizens. And I told her, I said, the most vulnerable citizens to me are our young student drivers just learning how to drive, our senior citizens, our young families with children, and our small businesses. And she didn't answer my question. And so I asked her three more times, three different ways. And finally, she says, Jason, these tolls are not set in stone. They're just something that we are studying that's I didn't, a load of crap. <laughs> it is. Well, here's the thing. In in uh, House Bill uh, uh, House Bill 2017 uh, was the bill that allowed the study of mm-hmm. the tolls. Okay, she she wasn't even in there during that time. In 2021, they voted on House Bill 3055. Mm-hmm. 3055 gave ODOT the authority to mandate these tolls mm-hmm. and. You know, the general public still does not know how bad these tolls are going to be. And, and, and these were one of the motivating factors that got me interested to think, you know, somebody asked me if I would run. And, and as soon as I found out about these tolls, I was all in because I want to stop these. And, and I don't know what you know about it, but I'll tell you, the average person that has to use these tolls is going to spend about $240 per month. That's mm-hmm. per driver. So you could have. You could have yourself, your wife, a couple of kids. Pretty soon, you, you've got a thousand dollars per month going towards these tolls, and there's no good reason to do this. Yeah. Uh, basically, what ODOT says is they want to force people out of their cars. They want people to take public transportation. They want them to walk. They want them to bicycle. They want them to carpool. Well, I think carpooling is okay, but here's the facts. Uh, not everybody works at the same place. Um, yep. You don't always have somebody that lives close to you that works at the same location that you live at. And, you know, I've, I've listened to ODOT give several different uh, presentations about how these tolls would work, what the cost might be, where the tolls might be implemented. And one of the very first places that they want to put a toll will be uh, just as you are leaving Charbonneau at, mm-hmm. at the uh, Boone Bridge. Imagine every single retired senior citizen, every time they want to go grocery shopping, they want to get their hair done, they want to do banking, they want to go to the post office, whatever, they're going to have to pay a toll just to leave their house. Well, I think that you hit it on the head that this is going to harm our lowest income, most vulnerable citizens the most. And that's that's kind of been my argument against polls is just leaving it at that. Say, I oppose tolls because it'll harm our lowest income, most vulnerable citizens. Period. Because you can't, you can't argue with that. There are plenty of other reasons to, to, to oppose it. You know, the fact that it'll just push people onto surface streets, which will degrade the air quality, increase congestion, putting cars closer to pedestrians. You're going to see an increase in pedestrian deaths because there's more cars out there. Um, it's a regressive tax. You know, it's it, the fact that there is no real plan. At least last I I heard there was no real plan of where the money was going to go. It was really just a, a money grab. 
It was, we can do this, therefore we will. There was no plan of like, hey, we have this project. We need tolls to pay for it. No, it was, oh, we might give it to the, to the county and the city. Yeah. <laughs> That's their plan. There's, there's no project. It's just, it, it is just, and, and, you know, we just don't have the density for a robust public transit system. Right. You know, you, you're going to have, um, and I did a lot of research into this when I was running for Metro, um, but you, in order to have a robust, a good transit system, you need to have a certain level of density so that you can have frequent service and a lot of stops. If you do, if you have, if you don't have the required density, you either have infrequent service or you're driving around empty buses. And neither of those things is good for, for transit. So we just, we just don't have it. You know, transit probably works in the middle of downtown in like really dense areas of Portland, but suburbs out here in Newburgh, the places where these tolls are going to go into effect, transit simply doesn't work. Right. And, you know, as I was listening to Garrett speak about this, uh, one of the things that he said is, well, you know, it'll, uh, it'll encourage people to stay at their jobs longer, leave a little bit later, maybe go have a bite to eat before they go home. Well, this is the craziest thing I ever heard of. Imagine a single mother that's right. got to get home to her kids, or maybe she's got a, a, a kid in daycare. Okay, Again, they, the, the people who have this flexibility are generally more wealthy. They're more affluent. They've, they've got that flexibility to begin with. Yeah, your your single mother, low income folks, they got to be at work at seven o'clock, and they got to get home to take care of the kids. That's right, and. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, the other thing is, is the cost, the cost that is involved in this. Imagine it is going to be $240 per person per month, mm-hmm. right? That's average. And if you drive all the way to uh, Vancouver, it could cost you double that, all right? Mm-hmm. Because there is going to be a, a toll after toll after toll. Eventually, they want, if you get on the freeway, they want you to pay a toll. So, there will be more tolls added. And by the way, uh, this is not just I-205 and I-5. This is also going to be Highway 99, mm. 84, 26, and 217. It is highway and freeway. It is not just freeways. This is what I, I got out of Paul Savas uh, in one of his uh, speeches that he was giving. So there's all the, all the more reason to vote Christine Drazen oh, and Jason sure. Fields, but Christine Drazen, you know, can nip this in the bud by going to ODOT and being like, stop. Knock it off. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I know you have authorization to do this, but we're not doing it. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and, and think about this. Uh, $240 and the only way you get a discount, the only way you get a discount on this is if you uh, you earn under $27,000 and you're a family of four. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, keep in mind, if you get a job today working at Taco Bell, uh, some of these stores, the starting wage is $17 and 50 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. That's $35,000 a year. You're not yeah. going to qualify. Yeah. Nobody's going to qualify. Nobody will qualify. And if you're working at Taco Bell, you probably can't afford $240 a month to get to work. Right. And which means you got to move or you got to leave your job. It's just going to be a huge, uh, burden on the people who are least able to have another burden right. placed on them by the government. They say that another thing, another reason why they want these is because they're not receiving enough dollars through our state and federal tax dollars when you purchase your fuel because of electric and uh, hybrid cars. And the the next thing that Garrett said is coming is a per mileage tax. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he says, we're going to try to get rid of the state and federal taxes on our cars. Well, let me tell you something. It's never <laughs> going away. 
it is absolutely never going away. Mm-hmm. So I believe what the the real goal here is to produce enough money to where they can build light rail everywhere they want to build it and uh, and not have to ask the voters about it. And as a state representative, I will not approve a single inch of light rail anywhere in this state unless the voters have asked for it, unless they approve it. Because we spend, we waste hundreds of millions of dollars every single year in taxpayer funded money to, to, uh, pay for the shortage. If you look at any of these trains every single week, every single day, they are almost empty. They mm-hmm. are not safe. They are safe when you have safe people riding on them. But, um, we have people that we don't know who they are riding on these trains and, uh, I, I think we Trans- need security. Transit ridership and both buses and trains is about half what it was pre-pandemic. Right. The traffic, cars driving, has pretty much gotten back to where it was. I heard last I heard it was ninety-five percent of what it was pre-pandemic, whereas you're looking at fifty, maybe sixty percent on on transit. People just aren't taking transit anymore. I mean, imagine after two, two and a half years of a pandemic, people are not real excited about getting in those little tubes with everybody's shoulder to shoulder. Not to mention, like you're talking about the the interesting people who you know are cutting hair or are doing right. drugs or, or murdering are people. murdering people mm-hmm. legitimately happening on the max mm-hmm. um and the other thing just the cost of transit right now each person each boarding costs about nine dollars i think i think it's about nine dollars and that's bus and and max so two dollars fifty is from the fare and seven dollars is subsidized by something else right so it's not not that every government service should you know needs to break even of course but just to show that two-thirds of it three-quarters is subsidized by by non-riders right it's it's uh transit's in a bad spot right now and it's trying to push more and more people onto transit i don't think will end well i do want to say something i am not 100 percent opposed to tolls when there's a benefit hmm. if if Right now, we've got three lanes that go uh, north and south, each direction, mm-hmm. um, on 205. If they decided to build a fourth lane that would ensure that I could get from Wilsonville to Portland and uh, not sit in traffic, and I could do that within, I don't know, 15 minutes, and it cost you $5 to get on this lane, I'm all for that. Same thing with building a new bridge that goes over the Columbia River. Sure. I'm okay if they want to make that a toll bridge. Uh, as long as there's a benefit, that means there's going to be more lanes. That doesn't mean that we, we have the same three lanes going each direction and then they want to put, uh, light rail. Light rail does not ben any, does not benefit the drivers that are on that, that drive across that road on a, on a freeway. I did another research on this on a daily basis or weekly basis. I guess your time period doesn't really matter, but I did, I looked at weekly on a weekly basis. The number of people who cross the interstate bridge, that one bridge, uh, is equal to every single rider on the TriMet network. That is how <laughs> that's how few people take transit. Uh, one bridge, same number of people as as Gresham to uh, to Hillsboro. Crazy, yeah, it is crazy. I I think we need to. I, another thing, uh, ODOT ODOT should have no authority as to when, where, how. Or what we are driving. I do mm-hmm. not want ODOT having any authority, period. It's, it's same thing with Metro. Absolutely not. Yep. It should be the people. And the people did not ask uh, uh, for 
light or they didn't ask for light rail. They did not ask for tolls. Well, some people did. Portland, well, we, Portland people did. We did. Well, the first time, <laughs> the very first, I remember in 1986, I remember being 16 years old when they built the very first uh, light rail tracks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is really incredible. And it truly was a wonderful thing. And it did work very well to get people from downtown Portland out to Gresham. It was very good for quite a long period of time, but something changed. All right. Something changed. And, and you know that, uh, property values went down. Lots of businesses went out of business. They had to shut down a uh, Fred Meyer and. Well, I think what changed is it stopped being an optional thing and now it's becoming mandatory. Yeah. They're trying to make people take transit. It used to be, like you said, you, you, you took it because it was convenient. Now you're taking it because they're making it inconvenient to do anything else. Right. So I think that's the change. You know, something else that's happening all over the place here in Oregon, and we have got to get a grip on it, is uh, if you drive through Portland streets, you will find so many streets that used to have two lanes going each direction. They've choked it down to one lane going each direction, and this is out of control. This has got to come to an end. The city of Portland, the state of Oregon, should not be mandating how we drive, and and we – well, so I'll push back a little bit on that because I, I hate driving through Portland too mm-hmm. for the same reason. But that is mostly Peabot doing that. And that's the city, the people of Portland who are, who largely want that. They want to these road diets. So like I'm, I'm less worried about Portland doing stuff within Portland's boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as long as Portland doesn't spill out into not Portland. Well, that's I'll, where, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> are you familiar with uh, Wilsonville here at all? A little bit. I don't okay. spend a whole lot of time. Do you know where Fry's is? Do you remember yeah. Fry's used to be? Yeah. That yeah. used to be two lanes going each direction. Mm-hmm. All right. They choked it down to one single lane and took an entire lane and made it a bicycle lane. I, I think yeah. that's absolutely ridiculous. It is rare to ever see a bicycle on that road. Well, it's the same thing in East Portland. They've done that in like, you know, 112th or whatever, that area that <laughs> nobody rides their bikes out there. It's not culturally they don't ride their bikes and it's just too far away from anything to to be realistic. So I'm with you. I don't like it, but again, I don't live in Portland and Portland wants that. So I don't know, let Portland do what Portland does. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> that's I just my don't two want cents. The, I just don't <laughs> want the Portland creep coming out this way and yeah. and all Yeah, because that's that's yeah. what they end up doing is is they take their bad ideas and try to force it on somebody else. Exactly. Um there was something that you mentioned a little bit ago I kind of wanted to go back to, which is the gas tax. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've kind of been wrecking my my brain a little bit because that's how we how we fund our roads, our repairs and, and new construction, at least we're supposed to, is the gas tax. As we transition into more hybrid electric vehicles, electric vehicles don't pay gas tax because they don't buy taxes or buy <laughs> excuse buy me, they don't, buy, they don't buy fuel. Um, at some point, we may get to a tipping point where – there are enough electric vehicles on the road that we're not able to maintain the roads based on. So there, there has to be a tax somewhere okay. to pay so, for the roads. So I agree. First of all, I absolutely agree that uh, both hybrid and electric cars should pay a per mileage tax, mm. period. I am not opposed to that, but I am absolutely opposed to uh, forcing uh, gasoline and diesel vehicles mm. to pay that tax got it and here's the other thing i am not would again, you would you be okay if they got rid of the gas tax if it was replaced by a i don't paper think mile? It, i don't think it could be because that is the way that we get funding from the federal government now oh, i believe that there's a i believe there's point. yeah and i believe that there's probably some kind of a secret thing where they'd like to get rid of the federal government funding because they will have tolls on 
highways and freeways, and then they will have the funding that they need to force us to live the way that they think we ought to live and choke us out of our cars. And you know what? Oregonians are not going to stand for it. And as a legislator, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow that either. But I will tell you something here. If we're talking about uh, that we need more funding for our roads and our bridges, I will give you a funding source that will not hurt a single soul. Every two years, you take your car through DEQ. Mm-hmm. Every two years, your car sails through DEQ. We no longer test for emissions. Okay. It used to be that you would pull in there. They would stick the wand up the tailpipe right. and they would have you rev the engine and say, hold it there for a few seconds. Meanwhile, they would smell for hydrocarbons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Today, they ask you to get out of your car, go wait in a room. They plug into your ECM, your electronic control module, and they see if you have any codes. Yeah. And, and you know what? And that's it. <laughs> I want to do the same thing they did in Washington state several years ago. They actually eliminated all emissions testing in the state of Washington. Really? Oh, yes. I want to do the same thing here in Oregon. However, there is a fee associated with taking your car through DQ. Mm-hmm. Let's change that name of that to a, uh, to a road use fee. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's take that fee. And apply that to our roads and our bridges. Now, not a single soul will be hurt based on where they live. Thing is, is we should not, again, we should not be letting ODOT mandate how, when, where, and what we drive. Yeah. So, and, and I'll tell you something else. I am for all the above. I'm for gasoline cars. Mm-hmm. I'm for diesel cars. I'm for hydrogen cars if we ever get there. Yeah. And I'm for electric cars. But before we go deciding we're going to, change the way that Oregonians, uh, what we drive and decide that we're not going to be able to buy electric cars or excuse me, gasoline cars after 2034 or 2035, we better figure out where's the power going to come from. Mm-hmm. How are people that live in p- apartments? How are they going to power up their cars? Where's this grid supposed to be? All right. We, we're already being told we're going to have rolling blackouts. And, and furthermore, I want to know, what, how are we destroying this earth, digging up the, the minerals to build these batteries? And what are we going to do with these batteries? Well, we're batteries? doing it in China. And this is a thing I've noticed about uh, your, your liberal do-gooders on the uh, environmental side is they're perfectly happy to destroy the environment outside of our borders. Um, I think it was uh, Dan Crenshaw was trying to put a, <laughs> trying to put a poison pill into one of the legislation at the, at the federal level that it was, it was a pro-electric vehicle thing. And he was saying, okay, we'll do that. If you source the batteries local, like uh, domestically, because we have plenty of rare earth metals metals in the United States, but it's under forests, it's in places you don't really want to dig. And he's like, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna push this whole industry, let's at least get some of the benefit of these mining operations and build jobs and industry here. And of course, it it failed because you know, of course, it did. So what we're doing is we're trading Saudi oil for Chinese batteries. Because they have no problem digging giant pits and getting all this lithium and shipping it over here, so we're destroying the environment in China. Uh, it's the same thing with timber. You know, the, they will fight tooth and nail to prevent any kind of logging here in Oregon, but we still build in houses. The timber comes from British Columbia, That's right. and they drive it down on diesel trucks. That's right. <laughs> like you want to talk about farm to table, the the local people are talking want their food to be local. What about your timber being local? We got these giant forests out here that are burning down every other year because right. we don't maintain them. Meanwhile, we're getting our timber from Canada. So I've seen this this trend over and over again that the, the environmentalists are perfectly happy to d- destroy, quote unquote, the environment everywhere else, but just not here. 
Yeah. I don't want to destroy the, you know, I, I guess. Right. I, yeah. I, I want to take, we are so blessed. Get off my soapbox. I did, I do yes, that a lot. That's okay. <laughs> uh, we are so blessed here in Oregon. We are so green. We are already great stewards of, of this planet here in Oregon. And thank God we have trees, the, mm-hmm. the one and only renewable resource. And we ought to, we ought to use that resource. Yep. We already do a great job of replanting trees. I say, well, let's keep on, uh, replanting trees mm-hmm. and let's let's use our lumber instead yep. of instead of going to Canada or and I'm okay going to Canada but I I would much prefer to keep those jobs local keep the know? jobs local and not spend the fuel to to bring the uh the the trees to market yeah you exactly. know what i mean so yeah so one of the other things about electric vehicles and my stance on the whole is probably similar to yours where let the market decide if people want to buy electric vehicles, let them buy electric vehicles. I think we as Republicans get a little bit too – it's too easy to go down the path of if the Democrats are pro-electric vehicle, then we need to be against electric vehicle. I was like, no, I'm I'm pro-capitalist. I'm pro do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> if you- let me tell you something. If they can make an electric car that where I can drive – so I drive a, a Ford Excursion. Mm-hmm. I can go 860 miles on one tank of fuel. Wow. All right. I can go to Canada and back on one tank of fuel. I can drive from here to Montana on one tank of fuel. If I could get the same kind of mileage out of one of these electric cars, I am all in. Well, I think that that's just a matter of time. The the battery technology continues to advance. And especially now that there's so much money in it, I think that, that that'll happen eventually. It might be a decade or so, but I think that'll happen. My issue is the grid like you were talking about because our our power lines are designed to hold a certain load and that certain load uh, accounts for you know washing machines and refrigerators air and heaters and air conditioning what it doesn't account for is a electric vehicle in every single household right so it's it's something that only, I've only heard talked about a handful of times and obviously only amongst republicans is if we are pushing everybody to electric vehicles we need to revamp our whole electric grid or like you said we're going to have rolling blackouts because you just you don't have the generation and you don't have the you don't have the line capacity you can't get all that power where it needs to go to charge an electric vehicle everywhere so i will tell you something else Let's let's go back to the tolls for just a minute. Sure, they're going to have something called management pricing. Have you heard about management pricing? Uh, is that similar to congestion pricing? Nope. Or no, nope. nope. altogether difference. Go ahead. If you drive an electric car like a Tesla, mm-hmm. guess what? There's no cost to you to, to drive through the tolls. Oh, yeah. How do you like interesting. that? So not only will you not pay the uh, state and federal fuel taxes, you will not pay them the uh, toll charges either. See, that's what like. You want to buy a Tesla, buy a Tesla. I have no problem with that. But yeah, this is and this is benefits, them in the scale. Who benefits from it? The wealthy. The wealthy. That's exactly yep. right. So, uh, and who's who's pushing this? The Democrats. So, yeah. I don't think all Democrats are bad, okay? I, yeah. I really don't. But unfortunately, but the fact of the matter is, <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, it's It's only the wealthy that are buying Teslas. It's not poor people. Yeah. And they're expensive. Like once, once you, we have yet to see what's going to happen with the used car market. It would be great if we can get to a point where you can go get an electric vehicle used that's, you know, 10 or 12 years old. But I think that the batteries have a, have a half life. I was going right there. You, 
I don't know that we're ever going to get to that robust secondary market where you can get something for cheap. Yeah, and the batteries, batteries will cost you as much as you paid for the car. Yeah, yeah. So it, it doesn't make any sense. So you might as well. Yeah, it's it's that's silly. Um, changing gears a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, one of the things that you and I talked about uh, in person um, is your your stance on abortion, and uh, we don't need to talk about this if you don't want. No, but I'm, I'm good. Here, so so here's the thing. Okay. I hate abortion. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I hate abortion. But the fact of the matter is there are women that feel that they need to have access to it. Mm -hmm. And regardless whether this is something that is legal or illegal, women will choose to have abortions. And I would much prefer to have abortions be legal and safe and rare than have abortions be illegal and unsafe and I tell you what, I have five sisters. Mm-hmm. I could never tell them whether they should, they should or could have an abortion. And I will never tell a woman whether or not she can have an abortion. And I will tell you something else. I will never find out that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I will never know in my heart what it is like to decide that for whatever reason, the timing is not right or whatever it is. And I know that this isn't something that normally comes out of a Republican's mouth. I, I, I am pro-life in my life, okay? Mm-hmm. I also believe in God, mm-hmm. but I will not force my beliefs on somebody else. Yeah. Well, I, I bring that up, and I thank you for, for being truthful and honest about that. I know a lot of people kind of dodge dodge that question, so i sorry for kind of throwing it at you. That's but, okay. Um, the, a consultant once told me when I was running for office that it doesn't make sense to be a pro-choice Republican. They said, if you, because you can't out abortion the Democrats, you will never be the pro choice candidate. That will always be the Democrats. And they'll paint you as pro life anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mentioned before that Nick and I, who isn't here today, but co host, uh, met on the Bueller campaign. They did that to him. He was pro choice, pro LGBT, and they ran ads telling people you can't trust Newt Bueller with, with your, with women's health care. And they believed it. He was trying to scoop up some of the middle and some of the, you know, the moderates that were tired of the system and it didn't work. And they're doing the same thing with you. They're putting half a million dollars into telling people that you are going to remove women's right to have an abortion. And it's a total lie. So anyway, the, the, the point of the consultant was just be pro-life, go get Oregon rights to life's endorsement, and it'll make life a whole lot easier for you in the primary because you can't you can't win on the abortion issue in the general. Well, I will tell you this. Um, I'm going to just tell the truth. That's, yes, that's how it is. The fact of the matter is, is she has basically spent six hundred thousand yeah. dollars. The fact of the matter is, it's 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 amazing what you can get away with saying on on TV. Just absolutely amazing. Fact of the matter is, like I say, I will not take a woman's right to choose. I, I, you know, I sat down with Right to Life, and mm-hmm. I think that these people are doing a good thing. I think mm-hmm. saving lives is a good thing, all right? But I will not take a woman's right to choose away. And I realize that is not a Republican stance, but I'll tell you something else. When I was asked if I would run, I talked to uh, the people that asked me to run. I said, look, before I say yes, you guys need to know what my position is on abortion. I am opposed to abortion. However, the the, the thing is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going. Well, back. so I will disagree with you on one point. There, I do not think Oregon Rights Life is doing a good thing. I think they are doing much more harm than good to the Republican brand because we still have the most liberal, lack of restriction on abortion 
in the country. No restrictions whatsoever. So their core purpose is failure. And they are fa- also failing to get Republicans elected because it, they, it becomes, it, it keeps it forefront in, in people's minds. Abortion is never, abortion rights are never going to change in Oregon. It just is not going to happen. The last time there was something on the ballot for abortion was, uh, I don't know, several years ago, but it was basically the initiative petition to remove state funding for abortions. And it failed two to one. The people of Oregon are not interested at all. In restricting abortion rights, I and, will. I will tell you this. Okay, I, after after knocking on seventeen thousand doors, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you there are a few crazies that think that we should be taking our dollars out of our general fund, fifteen million specifically, mm-hmm. flying somebody from Alabama right. to have an abortion and then flying them home. I promise you, the voters here do not want that. That they, so that yes, right. That that's the next level. Um, Anyway, lost my train of thought. But <laughs> the point being, I think Oregon Right to Life does a lot more harm than good by keeping it front and center because it'll never change, and it keeps it in the in the com in in the uh, the discussion. And well, the Democrats are doing that too yeah. by by coming after you, by coming after Bueller. Uh, you see Kotech with all of her ads. It's all abortion, abortion, abortion. Well, I, They're I, the ones that keep talking about it. They are the ones that keep talking about it. And I do not believe there are, there are voters. Absolutely. I mean, I've met, I've met, I've met my share. I've met some today. And their number one question is, what is your stance on abortion? Yeah. Some of them, just because I have an R in front of my face or my name, um, I I was told today I could not be trusted because I am a Republican, which is a really sad thing to say because yeah. I believe there are good people in all the parties, okay? It doesn't matter whether you're a, a Republican or a Democrat. There are good people on on all sides. And, and the fact is, is we all agree on more than we disagree. It's time yep. for us to start coming together and uh, get past the hate. And And just because somebody is a Republican or a Democrat does not – does not mean they're going to be uh, towing the the party the rep- platform. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, and and it's you know if you want to be influential in politics in America in Oregon anywhere, you need to pick a side. You need you can't. I, I, there are so many people who don't believe the entirety of of the party platform, left or right. But you need to pick a side because you have this built in support base. I think we're we're seeing that with Betsy Johnson. Her polling numbers have been in free falls. She topped out at like twenty two percent. I think she's down to like nine. Last I saw, wow, Johnson really is not. Low? Yeah, you you cannot win as an independent or as not a member of the, one of those parties. And so you find whichever party more closely aligns with the things that you believe in, and you pick a side and you go for it. Right. I've been asked many times, why are you a Republican? Well, you know, I tell you what, I'm a Republican because I believe that the person that lives on the other side of the door that I'm talking to knows how to spend their money better than Salem does. Yep. And that's why, that's the main reason why I'm a Republican. I don't care who somebody loves. I'm not interested in getting in those conversations. Sure. Um, You know what I mean? I, I believe you should be able to love whoever you want and, uh, uh, I, I believe that you should be able to um, work as hard as you can and earn as much money as you can. There should be no limitations. I don't think you should be 100%. taxed out of out of existence. Um, so yeah, right on the nose with all that. Appreciate it. 
Well, we are coming up on time. So, uh, one of the things that we like to do at the end of our podcast is, is ask our guests, uh, who their favorite Republican is. So you had to t- some time to think about that. Do you have a, have an answer? Well, you know, Ronald Reagan is everybody's answer. And yep. I'm going to keep it going today because Ronald Reagan, no matter what, he is a, a man that, uh, he was a statesman. Mm-hmm. He was an incredibly, uh, good speaker. Um, you know what he he did some amazing things as president and and he brought people together yeah and uh i hope that i can follow in his footsteps i hope that i can get the kind of support that he got i think there's the last time oregon uh voted for republican for president right reagan's second term i i think I, that is correct actually I think that's i think that's right yeah yeah i'll have to double check that but i think that's the last time oregon voted for republican for president right so. Yeah, and I I didn't get a vote for him. I wasn't I wasn't old enough to do it. My first time I got to vote was uh, for George Bush Senior. Nice. Yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Got it. Cool. Well, great answer. Thank you again so much for for uh, taking the time to come out here. I had to twist your arm a little bit to get you to come on, but glad this this worked out. And uh, with that, we'll end it. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.